You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. Let's start with Jeremiah, and it's only the first part of three, so I will be covering more or less chapters 1 to 24. So that chapter 29, I was like, oh, I wanted that one. Uh, but uh, he just speaks so clearly through the whole book. And one thing that I found out as I was rereading this section is that um, everybody, every Bible scholar, every people that I know, when they think about Jeremiah, uh, they have uh, either one of two reactions. They either like don't like it at all or they really love it. And I read that uh, it might be because it's one person, one prophet, that it's just full of superlatives, like the must this, the must that. And that was very interesting to see. So, for example, the book of Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible. Another thing that I found is that it's the most autobiographical book in all the prophets. Uh, we started with Isaiah, and that he lived 100 years earlier than Jeremiah, more or less. So today it's Jeremiah. And as we go through the, all the prophets, we're going to see that really he just pours out his heart. We know more about his life, his mind, what he goes through, how he reacts, what he feels than any other prophet. Another thing that I found out is that Jeremiah is the most misunderstood prophet in the Old Testament. And he actually was given a nickname. I don't know he came out with this, but he's called the weeping prophet. And the first time that I heard about it, I was like, oh, like poor guy. Why? Why is that? And I found this um, painting. It's a famous painting uh, by Rembrandt. And he just pictured Jeremiah, and the way everybody pictures him is really crying, weeping. And he's called the prophet of sorrow because of the heavy message that he had to deliver from God to his people. Another thing is that he lived, the actual historical context, uh, he lived in what might be the most chaotic times in Israel's history. It's to kingdoms, if you remember, I remember when Solomon reigned and we went through this, that the kingdom got divided in two, the north and the south. He lived in the south in Judah, and he lived through the end of the kings in Judah. So it's really like the most terrible time uh, nationally and internationally. Everybody's trying to get a hold of this little kingdom of Judah. He lived through it all. So... It's really, really just superlatives. Jeremiah was called when he was young, okay, around 20-something years old. So he didn't believe he had the authority to speak on God's behalf. behalf okay? So it's good to take that in mind. And he tells God about it. So he starts his ministry when this godly king is still on the throne, Josiah. He's been reigning for 13 years. And God calls Jeremiah. And what I felt today, I'm going to be reading like here and there, different verses, because I really felt that God wanted us to see not only Jeremiah, like the prophet, but the human being and his heart and his relationship with God. And 
in that, we're going to be seeing God's heart too, what he has for us today. Because it might be a heavy message, but you can see really how it's like alternating. God says, tell this, and it's just really bad stuff. But then he encourages Jeremiah. He gives him words of love and just being real, so real that Jeremiah got to know God in a different way from all the rest of the prophets, I think. So how he was called. This is in Jeremiah 1, first chapter. We find it in verses 5 to 10. I'm going to be reading that, okay? So I just remember, I, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Perla Samitis. <laughs> nice to meet you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome here. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so here is what we find in Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And this is something that he speaks to all of us today. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Nobody is an accident or a mistake here. And he said, I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Then I said, and this is Jeremiah, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. And I really felt like we're going to be parking in different places, but this do not say is something that he still speaks to us because many times we disqualify ourselves for some reason when God is telling you I see you like this my beloved one or I see you like that or I prepare I'm preparing you for this or this is what I have the gift that I have the call that I have for you and how many times we come up with oh but God and he says do not say and this happened to me in a very real way in a time when my kids were younger and I just was telling him, but I'm just a mom. I'm like, no one, I'm just a mom. And he made me cry. He really clearly just do not say I'm just a mom. And he started showing me how he sees me and like how even when I'm not aware, it's like, I used you this time and you didn't see it or I spoke to you through you this time and you didn't notice uh, but he was like oh, okay so I told him I I try to don't ever ever say I am just a blank so what is it that you are filling in in the blank I want you to think about it okay through the message because God says do not say that because I am the one that is with you so Verse 8, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. Verse 9, then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to tear down to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. 
And this verse, it's Jeremiah's calling. It's really not very encouraging, I guess, because we have very negative words. He was commissioned to do this in his own town, like the kingdom, his time, his people, root out, tear down, destroy, overthrow. It was all this chaos, but at the end, the last one, it's hope to build and to plant at the end. So it was a very, very big thing in Jeremiah's heart. And I read, we can really understand or feel his heart if we don't see more or less everything that was around him, his time. So we had Judah and we have the nations. And in Judah, Judah is this little kingdom among powerful nations. They all want to get a hold of Judah. When we saw Isaiah, we heard that Assyria was the powerful, powerful nation. Now, Assyria is not the most powerful. It's decreasing in power, but we have two newer nations that are coming against, and one is Egypt, and the second is Babylon. And my 12-year-old would be very excited to hear this because they just studied in history, Babylon and everything. Well, that's a real, it's real history. It, it really existed, and they wanted to come over Judah. So it's a lot of conflict. But Judah, uh, I just felt uh, the image that I got when I was thinking, how can I describe Judah? This noble effect. They were from bad to worse to worse to worse, and really, really, really bad. And in Jeremiah, what we see is that there was a lot of unfaithfulness. And that led to social injustice. And one of the themes that God really lands on this book, it's about how they treat widows and orphans and immigrants. And it's just this cry, like, what are you doing? And he uses, Jeremiah decides to use this picture of a marriage. When you are married, you are to be faithful to one another. You are not getting married to expect one of the spouses is going to be unfaithful, right? And God uses this powerful image to describe what's going on. Like, it's like you are my spouse, Judah, Israel, my people, and you decide to be unfaithful. And you can see really God's heart hurting and just desiring that that desire that we've seen from the beginning, from Genesis, he wants to be with humankind. He wants relationship. And Israel, over and over, they just failed and they come back and they failed. But this is like the, the deepest. This is their worst time. This is where Jeremiah is living. So we find here in Jeremiah 2.13 what God tells them. And it's very interesting. It has very key words. 2.13 says, For my people have committed two evils. One, they have abandoned me. The fountain of living waters. And two, they left me to carve out for themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns that do not hold water. So the image that we have here is that God is the living water and Jesus' words come to mind, like, he's the living water, right? And it's like leaving this huge living fountain to try 
for themselves to use, I don't know, what clay or whatever, and they try to do whatever they want to do, but they don't even work because they leak. And God is saying, that, that's, what do you gain with that, right? So they don't do it. Um, they don't listen. They don't go back. So the main content that we're going to be seeing in Jeremiah, it's these accusations and warnings against Israel. He's confronting them and always telling them, this is the way to go, and they say no. And this is what you should do, and they say no. And actually, they are really mean. They reject him. And just imagine how much he had to endure to be called the weeping prophet. He was always crying. He was always weeping. He really, if you read Jeremiah, you're going to find that he even complained to God, like threw tantrums before God, and you are doing this, and I don't want to, and how come? And, and it's all the wise and all this anguish in his heart. And I just see that God is not offended when we are that transparent with him. He loves us. Like he loved Jeremiah, and we just see this. But um, as we were reading, as I was reading too, um, there are some just lines. It's just lines that just stood out. And one, it's in Jeremiah 6, 19. And God is still speaking, giving those warnings against Israel. But this really got my attention. I remember the first time I read it, it hit me. I really felt like, whoa, and stop. So I just felt like, park here. It says, hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing evil upon these people, the fruit of their thoughts. Their schemes and devices, another version says, because they have not listened and obeyed my words, and for my law they have rejected it. But the word that I was reading here, and years ago when I read it too, like I'm bringing the fruit of your thoughts. And do you know what came to my mind when you log into Facebook, that little box? To make you pause, I think it says, what's on your mind? And that just came to my mind, and I'm like, whoa, what's, what's in our mind? If you just think about it, what is it that you are thinking, maybe throughout the week? What are your thoughts? If God would really would bring the fruit of our thoughts, what would we see coming out of every head here? Oh my, yeah, that's what I was like, oh, like, please don't do that. Like, please, please, just have mercy on me because you don't know everything that is going. That is really, really private. It's just between you and the one who can see the thoughts. And he's saying here, you know, they are just turning the back on me. They are, what, the way I see it, it's like they are leaving my protection. So they won't be protected because they are walking away from this protection and once you don't have that protection, you can get the fruit of your thoughts. And then we also see this back and forth. Yes, there's a warning, but there's a promise. There's a confrontation, but there's encouragement and there's hope. So, for example, one chapter later, Jeremiah 7.3, we, we read this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, change your ways. Change your behavior. 
and I will let you live in this place. And what he's talking about, chapter 7, it's when God sends Jeremiah to the temple, the place where God is dwelling at that time. And he's promising them, if you just change, if you just come to me, you will live in my presence. And that's a big promise, just like turning around. Jeremiah 7.23, we read, But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice. Just obey my voice. And then all these promises come from just listening to God's voice. And I will be your God. And you will be my people. And you shall walk entirely in the way which I command you. And I thought, this is big. Because in obeying his voice, he's saying that you will definitely walk entirely. It's not like you're going to try to walk in my way just a little bit because I know you cannot do it. He's promising you will walk entirely. And I start wondering, how does that look like? This is a powerful word. And then 4 says, so that it may go well for you. And I immediately thought about Romans 8, 28. All things work together for our, for our good. We have Jesus now. But it's just listening to his voice. So he um, confronted Israel in two main things. One is their thoughts, and obviously this, the fruit of their thoughts became real. So we have all of this unfaithfulness to God, all this social injustice, and that's just the fruit of thoughts. But there are two words that were highlighted by Jeremiah, and I looked them up in the dictionary. The first word is idolatry. And this is what he refers to as broken cisterns. Like, if you reject the living water, you're going to try to make with your hands something that is not going to work out. So idolatry in the Webster's Dictionary has two definitions, and one is the worship of a physical object as a god, slow case. So I was thinking, okay, we can have like physical objects, I don't know if in the present time you can think on any, of any physical object that you might worship, <laughs> but that would be idolatry in a very clear way. Yes, money. Whoa, yeah, that's a powerful one. Yes. Mm -hmm. The second definition, it's the immoderate attachment. Now it's emotions involved. It's down the hall to your left or right. <laughs> immoderate attachment or devotion to something. Now it's not something that I can see, something that I feel. It's emotion. And what can that be? Are you emotionally attached to something? Are you giving your whole attention to something? That could be idolatry if you're trusting that more than God. And then... Jeremiah mentions another thing. It goes a little bit further than this, and this is a word that will come up on the screen. It's syncretism. And I looked it up, and the definition is the combination of 
different forms of belief or practice. And number two, it's diffusion or of two or more originally different forms. And I was thinking, wow, what Jeremiah is doing is saying that Judah, Israel, didn't only abandon God, but they adopted the beliefs and the practices of the nations around, and they fusioned them, melted them, if you can imagine that, put them together, and they believe that they are really, truly, wholeheartedly following God. Because he tells them, you're going to the temple, and you're worshiping God, and once you walk out the door, you go back to your regular life, you go to the mix of everything else, and you think, and you say that you are following God. But they got, yeah, hypocrisy. In the most clear way is going on around Jeremiah. And he's telling them, this is not working. And I was thinking, wow, it went so far that God tells them, not only abandon me, but replace me and mixed many other stuff to what I told you, even to the point of sacrificing your own children, like innocent lives. They weren't to that point. And Jeremiah 7.31, it's not here, but I'll just tell you, God says, I never commanded you to do that. It didn't even cross my mind to ask such a thing. So syncretism, I was thinking, I'm very familiar with this because I grew up in Mexico, and this is real today. They mix the Bible with what the Aztecs used to believe and all the other civilizations, and you see it every day, every day. Syncretism, and they really think they love Jesus, but there are these many practices that are mixed, and they think that it's God's word. And it's what the Bible says, there's a veil, and I know it because I lived it, I went through it, <laughs> uh, and it's real today. It might not be so obvious here in the American culture, but what is it that we are bringing into the mix of following God, loving God, following everything that he says? Is there anything that I'm mixing and that I'm getting in the mix and it's there? So I was thinking, Syncretism, it's when all perspective is lost. You cannot see the truth anymore. With idolatry, I think if you have something physical there, it's obvious, right? Like, that's not God. So it's like, I just pictured in my mind, that's like black and white. But syncretism, it's like the gray. And you don't see it anymore. But what if it's there? But God, in the middle of all of this, Jeremiah is with this message for years, more than 40 years. If you can imagine his heart just walking and everything. And God reveals to him, you know, there are really things that make my heart happy, just like I said to my kids. What is it that, God, um, that makes God's heart happy? And we have some words in Jeremiah 9, verses 23 to 24. And this is a powerful one that I love because really God is saying you and me that we have a kind of glory. That's the word that he uses. 
And our glory is in knowing God. So we read this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. And I just thought that's something that we value. We value wisdom, the intellectuals. We kind of like really exalt them. And God says, don't let them boast in this wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Another thing that we value, strength, going to the gym and all these muscles, right? Let not the rich man boast in his riches, which is money, something that we really value. 24, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love. Another version says mercy. This is mercy. Who practices justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So for me, Jeremiah was saying, wow, if we as a church, like the general church, maybe not Spindle City Vineyard, but all that we say that we follow God. If we don't practice these things that delight God, we are not really doing church or being the church. If we are not doing justice, blessing everybody, orphans, widows, immigrants, our thoughts, then we are adding to the mix and we are not truly, really following who we say we are following. And God says, there's hope and there's promise in the middle of everything, here it is. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, capital letters, and he will reign as king, that's the power, and act wisely, that's the wisdom, and do justice and righteousness in the land. So he's saying, I will bring somebody that will do all these things that delight my heart, and he will teach you. And of course, we know who is the righteous branch that came from David. Jesus. Jesus came. So Jeremiah's heart, I really felt God saying, just look at this heart. It's a transparent heart. He doesn't mind obeying God, obviously, because he trusts God so much, but he doesn't mind letting it just, everybody see it. I'm crying today. I'm so sad. And another day, I'm so happy because God is with me. And it's really just transparent. There's nothing hidden from God's eyes and presence. And we see his deep, deep faith, his amazing trust, his hope that is in God. And we read this in Jeremiah 20. It's Jeremiah speaking, and he says, Lord, you persuaded me, and I left myself be persuaded. You have overcome me and prevailed, like you won. I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. But, there's a but in verse 9. If I say, I will not remember him, nor speak anymore in his name, he got to this point. 
I won't speak in your name anymore. Then, in my heart, it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am tired of holding it in. And I cannot endure it. That is so clear. This is his heart. It's like, I have no option but speaking your name. Because it's like fire in my bones. And I thought about this song that we sing many times, and I love it. Set a fire down in my soul that I cannot contain, that I cannot control. That's Jeremiah's heart. Yes. Then we read in another part, Jeremiah 10, 6, 7. There is none like you. This is the same Jeremiah that just said, I don't want to talk in your name anymore. Now he's saying, there is none like you, Lord. You are great. And your name is great in mind. Who would not fear you, a king of the nations? For it is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. He knew who his God was. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words were to me a joy. Just imagine that. He's speaking condemnation, destruction, uprooting. But your words were to me a joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. He knew his God, his powerful God. So I was thinking, wow, Jeremiah really portrays what it means to walk with God. Like the walk of life. Day and night, year after year, just being there, rooted in him. And I found a quote that I really loved. It's in a commentary, and it says this. Jeremiah, it's a wonderful handbook for learning the art of having fellowship with God. Here is personal faith at its highest in the Old Testament. Ah, the art of having fellowship with God. There's hope. There's a new covenant, and Jesus came. Jeremiah didn't see it, but he knew it. He knew it. And I immediately thought about the New Testament when I was reading this. Jesus' words. He spoke words that had like a new meaning to me, and they are in Matthew 13. He's speaking to his disciples, verses 16, 17. Jesus is saying, Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I say to you that many prophets long to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And I just was thinking, oh, I think, Jesus, you were thinking about Jeremiah. You had to be thinking about Jeremiah. Longing in his heart, all this preaching, longing to see. And he did not see Jesus, the righteous branch. Longing to hear what he was speaking there, and he did not hear it. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 came to my mind, too. Paul saying, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And to me, that's Jeremiah's life. 
he really walked by faith, no matter what. Not by sight. And I just thought, Lord, when I go to heaven, one of the first, first, first people I want to meet, please let me meet Jeremiah. It's just so deep to see his heart and his trust in God. So what I felt God wanted us to do today, we're going to respond to some message. He highlighted some for you. So individually respond to him in whatever it was that he highlighted. But I really felt that there are many among us that maybe you're not going through the persecution and all the things that Jeremiah went, but I just got that feeling and sense in my spirit that it's been so long and too much that you are crying just like Jeremiah and the psalmist, there's a sound that starts with, how long? And I just kept that in my heart, like, how long? So if it's you, I really think that God wants to put, like, a new living hope, hope in your heart today. Like, a new level of promises. He has a promise and a future for you. He wants to encourage you. Like, like, just like he encouraged Jeremiah, you are crying out, like, how long? I cannot anymore. This has been too long. And God has promises for you today. So if it's you, I really, really failed. Don't leave without prayer, okay? We are going to be here, and we are going to be praying for breakthrough, promises, for hope, for whole, just Holy Spirit, just to come and bring the answer that you are longing for. The second thing, I just kept um, seeing this heart, longing for God's presence like a burning fire, and I just had to write it down. The words before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I just thought we need to pray for new depths or new levels of trust, new depths of knowing God, what it means to just take everything, take everything, I, I'm here, and just to be transparent to that degree of being transparent, no fear, no what would you think, or what would other things, just come to the presence of God, just come before his throne like a child, just like a child. So we're going to stand up um, just to respond. We're going to pray for Holy Spirit to come. But if you, you know that you are one of those that, yes, I need, I need to just come to the front. And I need that prayer. I have that cry in my heart for how long I need breakthrough. Just come. And we are all going to pray for these new depths, for his fire to be in our heart. Um, so, it's, yeah, people are ready to pray for you. Let's all close our eyes. And this is just between you and God. Father, we thank you. Because it doesn't matter what the cows might be. You are always, always there. 
in the middle of everything, you speak, and your words are a joy and a rejoicing of the heart. You bring hope, and it's a reality that it's going to be okay, that you will show up, that you will bring breakthrough. So, Father, we ask you to just start touching and feeling your church, your children today. Holy Spirit, just bring that living hope now. Make it real that they can see the future that you already saw, that it's going to be okay, that breakthrough already came, that victory already came, that whatever is not from you has gone away. And we thank you in advance for what we will see, Father. Just come and move. Bring consolation to your child. Embrace them that they can hear your voice, Father. And we ask you just to fill us up. Father, we want you. And just in your place, just pray to him. You know what you want to tell him. Like, I want you, Jesus. I want to love you more. I want to go deeper. I want to see you clearer. I want to hear you like never before. Just come and move. Let me know you, that you are good, and your promises are true. You do what you say. Come, Holy Spirit.